Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. We're about to get to my discussion with John and Susan as we talk about boredom and distraction. Again, this season of the podcast, talking about teens and technology, we're looking at that from a lot of different angles. And so we'll be talking about the significance of boredom and distraction in our own lives as well as our our students. But before we get to that, I wanted to give you an update on uh, YLT Nashville. Um, We've recently learned that we will not be able uh, to host at the end of January, but we are looking forward to hosting a a single event. Uh, For those of you who know about YLT, we typically have one in Nashville and then one in Paradise, Pennsylvania. And so we're looking at uh, possible dates, possible options on location. So we're not canceling YLT. We're we're hopefully just going to be able to reschedule it and have one single event in 2021 where we can actually meet together in person. Uh, But again, in the season of COVID, we're uh, asking you to to be flexible with us and also uh, trying to be uh, flexible and and how we can work around certain things and still uh, be sensitive uh, to uh, the regulations uh, that have been put in various locations. And so you can be praying for us as we continue to seek to establish this event and have something where we can meet together in person because we we long to have that that time together uh, that YLT offers us each year. Uh, So again, we're not canceling as of now, but we are uh, modifying what that's going to look like. Uh, So uh, just be praying for us and uh, stay tuned for details. We'll be letting y'all know more more about that soon. Uh, For now, here's my discussion with John and Susan. Hope you enjoy. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker. Uh, Today, I have Susan Needler and John Spencer on, and I I should have checked beforehand. Needler, did I promote that right? Got it. Right on. All right. Good. I've done that before, and it's like, why did I not do that before (laughs) I started recording? Uh, So John Spencer and Susan Needler are both at Kirk of the Hills in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Uh, Susan is the assistant director there. John is the Director of Student Ministries, uh, but you guys, why, why don't you share a little bit, uh, Susan, let's begin with you. How long have you been at Kirk of the Hills and uh, just a little bit of your background? Sure. Um, I have been at Kirk of the Hills doing student ministry since 2009 when I moved to St. Louis to come to seminary. And before that, I did student ministry in Fort Payne, Alabama. So I have been doing actual church youth ministry since 2007. Um, getting paid for it, I should say. Before that, <laughs> I, I loved it already. So it's been a part of my life since I was um, honestly in my late teen years. Um, so it's something that I feel like God called me to a long time ago. And it has been something that I've loved getting older and still getting to be part of this ministry. It's been a joy. Um, I have been doing, so I, I came in 2009 for seminary and I got my master's of educational ministries. And then was lucky enough to get to stay in St. Louis. My husband works at Covenant Seminary, and then I got to stay and have my job here um, turn into something that was full-time. And then when I had kids, it was something that I still got to do for a part-time job. And it's been just the Lord's greatest blessing to me. It really has been to get to be with my family and also still do a job that I love and really believe in. So that's been great. And so that's been kind of my quick version of how I got here. Yeah. And that's, that's huge too, just to that point, to be able to stay in one place. I mean, the the consistency in ministry uh, can bear so much fruit Uh, and, you know, often in youth ministry, there's a lot of turnover in staffing. And so uh, to be able to stay put in one place, uh, you can just see some of that long-term fruit. Um, And so remind me, kids, how many, how many children do you have? have? Three kids. I have two sons and I had a baby girl this March. So it's been a fun 2020 at our house. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it. And pre-recording, we were all sharing, uh, parents of, of young children. We're all kind of struggling this afternoon. Sipping on some <laughs> or coffee, limping, so. <laughs> limping to the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Hopefully we can, we can make it through it, but, but John, why don't you just share a little bit about, um, ministry experience and, and family as well? Sure. Um, so I've been at the Kirk, uh, for, I'm in my fifth year here and, uh, I started at the Kirk right after seminary. I went to Covenant and uh, I got my master's in theological studies and um, I've always done youth ministry. So I've done youth ministry for about 10 years uh, full time in St. Louis uh, for most of that. And um, so it's been kind of a a life calling for me. And uh, the Kirk was definitely a part of that calling as well. Something 
that we weighed very heavily um, when we were trying to figure out where to go after seminary and the Kirk called us. Um, well, I should say the Lord called us there um, and the, the Kirk offered us the opportunity and we took it and we loved it. And um, we've been there ever since. And so I've been the director of student ministry that, this whole time uh, while being there. And Susan has obviously been there the whole time, uh, a huge um, foundation to the ministry, just being there long-term. And we're kind of um, been, she likes to say, uh, she's my Robin to, to the Batman. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if I could wear um, the Batman outfit, but I get what she's trying to say. So yeah, we've been a director and assistant director that this, this whole, whole goal um, of, of ministry long together. Um, alongside that, Carrie, my wife um, has been a ministry partner, um, both from volunteer to just being a, a wife of a, a youth worker. Um, and she was a huge advocate in helping receive my call into youth ministry back in college. So that was back in 2007 mm-hmm. um, when I received that call and have been doing youth ministry kind of ever since. And, um, and the two of us, we have three kids. We have two girls and a boy. Um, and our, both our middle children, Susan and I's middle children are in love. Uh, they're four. <laughs> and, they're betrothed. Yes. But, um, so we have three kids, um, one in kindergarten, one in preschool and one, uh, who is just terrorizing the house at two years old. So um, he literally found all the cups this morning and dumped all the water out. Um, uh. one, it was our fault for leaving like 10 cups of water out. <laughs> he dumped them all out this morning, which was awesome. Oh man. Yeah. I can't remember. I had a few of my children where they loved to play in the cabinets and get all of the Tupperware and stuff out. And it was kind of just every day you get home and it's just all scattered all across the floor. And it was their favorite thing to play with. You know, it's, it's like they had all of these toys and it's like, Hey, play with those. But no, they wanted to to create uh, a mess for us to clean up. So uh, that's awesome though, to hear about the family, to hear about the ministry experience. And, and, uh, as our listeners know, this is season eight of the podcast. And this is, uh, the, the theme of this season is teens and technology. And we're trying to get at this topic from a lot of different angles. And really the, the focus of today is going to be boredom and distraction. I know we'll get into a lot of other things from that, but but I know that this will be you know, the, the focus. And uh, John, I, I remember two years ago, I believe you spoke at one of RYM summer conferences. And I don't remember the exact title of, of that elective, but I do remember we have um, a book table at the back for those who haven't been to RYM's conferences. And I saw the book, The Distracted Mind by Adam, I think it's Ghazali. Maybe that's how we'll sure. say it. And, yeah, let's go that way. And, and Larry D. Rosen. And one is a professor in neurology, one is a professor in psychology, and they're just discussing, as they label uh, them, interruptive technologies and, and how so much of our uh, technology is uh, the impact that it's making on our mind. And, and I remember just, just one quote from that, uh, talking about the negative impact. It says, the negative impact is even greater for those with undeveloped or impaired cognitive control, such as children teens and, and older adults. And so it's, it is alarming to read some of what is in that book and to think about what we're dealing with in student ministry and the impact of uh, these devices um, on our, our students. But we'll be digging into that a little bit deeper. But I know that the two of you have talked about this a lot at, at your church, the, the Kirk, and um, you guys have done a podcast as well, um, which is why I think y'all's microphones are so much better than mine, by the way. Uh, y'all have got the nice setup. Uh, y'all need to give me some some, some tips, but talk to us a little bit about just what you're doing at your church, um, how your parents have received that. Also just letting people know, how can they access uh, some of that content for the podcast? Yeah. So Susan and I, um, produce a podcast that goes out about once a month called student ministry for parents, um, taking the work of ministry into the homes that we minister to. Uh, so, one of the big things we try to advocate for is to not just leave the work of ministry at the church or at youth group or whatever it is, but to really help the parents know that they are great disciples of their teens. Um, and we, we worked on how can we do that um, better and more often. And, you know, podcast giving resources was a helpful thing. Um, and we thought just from our voice was also going to be helpful. And we've been in youth ministry for a while and um, I enjoy looking up resources and 
you know, finding information and then talking about it with Susan. So we were like, yeah, this would be an easy thing to do. And it's, it's spiraled into a lot of different things. Um, but it has, uh, we've, we've arrived at a, a series that we're, we're um, modeling this class that I taught at RYM that a lot of the parents or the leaders that were in that class really came up and said, this is really helpful uh, to navigate um, ministering to youth. Uh, and so it was entitled Bored to Death. And that really kind of came out of me just geeking out over a bunch of uh, stuff about technology. Um, what is technology doing to us? Uh, specifically, what is the internet doing to us? Uh, and then I got into brain science and reading everything um, that Dan Siegel has um, written and uh, just about everything. And, <laughs> and then I, I read The Distracted Mind. And then I was also just reading a bunch of scripture, um, obviously, in my own devotion and commentaries and really seeing a lot of parallels uh, between distraction found in scripture and distraction that we receive in this world um, just through technology and um, how destructive that can be. And so that's why um, the, the class was called Bored to Death, uh, because what we uh, out of the research that we had found was uh, boredom is kind of the leading cause of distraction in today's society. And so with that from boredom, we get distracted, and from distraction, it leads to our death. So I just skipped mm -hmm. over that, called it bored to death, um, mm -hmm. which is a common phrase we use. I'm, I'm, I'm bored to death right now. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's where we arrive. Our parents, um, we're halfway through the series, and um, they're eager for the third part because the third mm -hmm. part is the application part. And um, so we've given them all this information. They're like, what, what do we do with this? So mm -hmm. a lot of eagerness. I think a lot of ears are open and are just wanting information just because it's so new. And this is really the first generation of teens that have, um, they're a technologically um, savvy generation, like the first ones that have kind of grown up with only the internet. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so we're really kind of seeing how do we, how do we disciple that? And so we're trying to put resources in the pockets of our parents with that as much as we can. Yeah, no, that, that's so encouraging to hear that. I mean, so often youth ministries can talk about partnering with the parents, but how do we practically implement that? I mean, this is a great example of that. I mean, you guys creating a podcast for your parents, doing research for them, just kind of feeding them uh, this content is great. And so, uh, Susan, maybe you can tell us where can we access this as well as just how, how is this shaped um, maybe your interaction with your parents. I mean, are you finding that this is giving you conversation when you see them on Sundays or they're referencing an episode? How, how have you seen some of that uh, fruit maybe come to the surface? Yeah, I want to make sure I get the name right. So if you look us up, isn't it called Student Ministry for Parents? Yeah. It's yeah. Student Ministry for Parents. And um, our faces are on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a cartoon version of our faces are yeah. on there. Um, nice. But, you know, this whole thing was born out of a couple of years ago, so as we shared, John and I um, are older doing youth ministry, which isn't always the case with youth ministry. A lot of times it attracts younger people and it's been a gift to stay in youth ministry so long, but it's also shifted. I'll speak for myself. I feel like it's shifted my focus and I would, I would probably say John would agree with me that um, I have become so much more aware of parents the longer I do it and just, um, the hardship and the heartache. And so a couple of years ago, I think we both felt that, that, um, lacking of how do we engage with parents? And, you know, the reality is people are so busy. And so we tried to do some things in person and we probably try when it's not a pandemic, we do try to do something once a semester just to mm -hmm. engage with our parents face to face. But, um, the reality of, actually getting to talk about something real, this became such a better outlet. And it's so easy for us because we are with their student, we're with our students and we're with their children all the time that it's not hard to look for things to talk about. Mm -hmm. And even just like what John was saying, as we get to this third topic, you just realize it's so overwhelming. Like there's so many things to be worried about that. It's like, this is such a fun seat to have because we can have information. And then what do we do with this? Like, this is a huge problem, but it's not something that's outside the bounds of what the Lord and scripture speak to. And so we can kind of, um, we get the joy of standing back and seeing 
how this affects this generation, but also to give hope. And we do have a few people, there are a few parents that will um, seek us out to really talk about, there's one family in particular that the one listener is very kind to want to talk about it and process more because I think it's a good jumping off um, for conversation. Um, But it has been helpful. And I think because we're in a time in society where people have more time in their car or exercising that podcasts are just such a great way to get information out there. Does that mean everyone listens to it? No, Mm -hmm. but it's available and we're trying to provide what we can on our end. So yeah, it's been great. And I think for us, it's been really helpful. John, the thing that I always love about getting to do this with John is I am not a reader. So whoever's listening to this podcast, be encouraged that if you are not a leader alert, oh, reader, you can still learn because podcasts are so helpful. And so it's so easy to get into a rhythm of trying to learn more by listening, whether that's in the car or jogging or whatever it is that you can do. But as a worker, this has been so helpful to have dialogue over things that we are thinking about and to, to sit and talk with someone who does the same thing as me and to dig a little deeper of like, what do we do with this giant thing that we're seeing in youth culture? It's been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's really encouraging to hear that. I, I'm looking forward to discussing this more. I mean, I think it is, it's such a huge issue. Yeah, you know, as we just think of social media as, you know, a big umbrella that we're kind of dealing with and just all the little topics underneath it. I mean, distraction, uh, I mean, it, it's such a significant maybe thread that runs through so many issues connected to um, this, this bigger issue. So I'm looking forward to, to talking about this a little bit more. And I thought we, we could begin by defining boredom um, as we think about boredom and distraction, just kind of asking the two of you, how would you define boredom? Who, who wants to, to start off giving a, a stab at it? And if you've got nothing, I looked up just a Google definition I can read as well. Well, I was thinking about that because I probably would have answered this differently. Again, something that we say a lot on our podcast, one of the most defining things for me as a youth worker has been to become a mom myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has been so interesting, but I would probably have normally said boredom is just like nothingness, like just don't know how to get creative, but it is so interesting to me when my kids will say, I'm so bored. And I love to come up with ideas. I'm like, you could color, you could go outside. I will list off like 20 things. And I'm like, that's so boring. I'm like, wow, that is actually really interesting to me. Because it's, I think now it's probably the, the definition has changed in decades gone by because it's probably now an overabundance of anything that stimulates you. You know, it's like, there's too many things um, that creates this boredom of like, I can't get interested in anything. Um, So I don't know, but just thinking through, there's too many options now that nothing sounds interesting. It's, it's almost like a a mixture of like overstimulation, but I don't know how you would define it. No, I think that's a good question. Uh, Mostly because that's a word we just use without thinking about. Um, and even when, you know, I was working on all this, I didn't even think about the word. It was just like, yeah, we all know what bored means. Um, and I, it just, in my simplified definition, it's like, I not knowing what to do, um, with yourself, uh, and you're just either overwhelmed or you're completely underwhelmed and you just kind of sit in a, a lull or a nothingness and you're just, you know, um, I don't know if there's another word, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just bored right now. Um, it's probably one of the most common ways to describe something. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know what the, the dictionary definition is, but. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, just when, when I Googled, it said feeling weary because one is unoccupied or lacks interest in one's current activity. So just saying that again, feeling weary because one is unoccupied or lacks interest in one's current activity. And so I think it definitely, it's, it's like you said, it's one of those words. We just, we know what it is and we use it all the time, but you know, both got it something. And this was actually something I had down a little bit later, but kind of bringing it up here, um, just talking about how choices are related to boredom, you know, or, and, and distraction, uh, that, uh, I think Susan, you, you said something along those lines of, uh, we've got so many options now that we're just bored because there's just almost overstimulation. So maybe talk about that a little bit, choices and how it's related to boredom. I mean, I, I think the the greatest thing that I think of is Netflix. I mean, I mm-hmm. think of, 
I will waste countless minutes trying to find something to watch to decide there's nothing to watch or to. I've never had that problem, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That was totally unrelatable. Um, (laughs) But I think, um, yeah, I I guess it's, I mean, I think it has an actual definition. What's that called? It's like choice paralysis. You know, I, I think that's what it's actually called. But it's it's almost like there's like a lack of willingness to try something new or um, to try to be creative in what you might want to do. And um, I, yeah, I think I don't. I'd love for you to for John to speak about maybe teenagers with that. But thinking about little kids and thinking about adults, I think choices. Sometimes as an adult, I think I'm like, Ugh, that's not worth it. Like I'd rather do some like that doesn't excite me enough to try to get into that. Whereas a little kid, it's like too much work to try to come up with something new, you know? Um, so I don't know what you would say about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, choices is probably, uh, one of the greatest, um, factors of changing youth ministry today. Um, I, that's my own personal belief. And I, I think Susan would agree with me. Like youth ministry has changed today because there's more options of things to do than there ever has been. Hmm. Um, and that's, This goes to another episode of our podcast because we live in two realities. We live in a physical reality and we live in a virtual reality. So we're living two lives simultaneously. Um, And so we're, we have at least twice as many options as any other generation has ever had, um, especially these teenagers. And they're really good at being in their virtual reality. Uh, And so since we function in a physical um, realm, um, we're just one of the options for these teens to Mm -hmm. enter into ministry. So um, yeah, we are at a complete choice paralysis is, is the term that is thrown out there. Um, and it's one of the, it's one of the leading causes of distraction. So if you think about the distracted mind, the, the book that you had referenced and, and we had used for this class, uh, the, it, there's four main factors of distraction that lead us to distraction and choices is, um, having too many choices is one of those things. Uh, and, and what that ends up doing um, when, when you have this, these options in front of you, um, you, it, it does one of two things. It shuts you down, mm-hmm. uh, meaning like, I'm, I don't know what to do with myself. And so I'm going to do nothing, which leads into like depression and anxiety. Um, most people have hard time or not most, a lot of people don't have, um, an easy time making decisions. And it's be mostly due to because, because they have too many options. And so they shut down um, and they be they stop moving forward uh, as the Lord calls us, move forward, follow me. Um, he doesn't say, just stay where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. He loves us too much to, to, to leave us where we're at. Um, but the other thing that it does is when you have too many choices and let's say you make a decision, that increases your odds of making a poor decision. Um, so instead of saying, you know, have eat this or that, um, okay, I just have two options, um, but eat everything, um, at the food court, uh, you have all <laughs> these things. And I don't know how many times I got to eat with students and we think, you know, we live in a city. It's like, where do you want to eat? And, and we have to start like, okay, what are you hungry for? Okay. <laughs> What type of chicken do you want to eat? Okay. <laughs> what side of town do you want to eat in? And it just like, you spend an hour trying to decide where you're going to eat. And then by the time you get there, it's closed or they're out of this food. And, you know, and you're like, oh, I made a bad decision um, because you had too many options. Um, so, yeah, choices is, is a, a, a tough road. Um, and that's why we don't give children too many choices. Um, <laughs> It's best to, you know, the science says, you know, it's best to give your child just two options or don't even give them an option at all. Just kind of guide them in the right direction. It's Mm -hmm. not until we're older and more developed are we capable of handling more options, but it's a process. It's not something um, you just give to somebody and say, good luck. Um, And we can get into this. uh, And and that's part of what the internet does to an undeveloped mind. We're Mm -hmm. giving them way too many choices too early on in their life. Um, and so they deal with choice paralysis on a heavier level and they deal with too many poor options um, because they're, they're, the road of choices is, is too wide for somebody who doesn't know how to navigate yet. Um, we've just given them a way to a difficult of a map before they can handle it. 
Hmm. And that's an interesting thought of just giving too many choices at such a young age and how that's impacting, you know, our students, but, but our children, because even going back, Susan, to your example of Netflix, I mean, I'm old enough to, to just remember, uh, you just watched what was on TV, that there wasn't this grid where you just got to select between, you know, hundreds, thousands of movies or, or shows. It was just kind of like, okay, this is the show that's on TV. We'll, we'll watch it. That was, there was no decision that needed to be made. And now our children are, are having to make decisions, you know, constantly about their form of entertainment, things that ultimately don't have a significant impact um, in, in many ways. But I know something that that's brought up in the, the um, class that you talked about, John, is um, how boredom can lead to spiritual and physical death. And I know that's kind of a, a big thing to throw out there. And I know uh, you guys discussed that in length, but maybe kind of discuss that a little bit of just kind of give us a little bit of a summary of how, how boredom can lead to spiritual and physical death. Part of the reason is just we think boredom, I think to some people, just sounds kind of like a harmless thing, but this is a fairly weighty thing uh, that uh, what we might not realize at times. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, there. There's a lot to this statement, um, and this was kind of the the theory we're working with, the hypothesis that uh, boredom is the leading factor uh, to distraction. And I think a lot of people could say distraction is a bad thing, um, and it can be a very destructive thing. But what you have to take a step back and think: well, what leads us to become distracted? Um, and so I, I I wrote in there, you know. Uh, it leads to a physical death. And you got to think like, let's say you're driving down the road and um, you've been driving down the road for a while, you know, and you're just kind of got that, that road. What's the highway hypnosis, highway hypnosis, <laughs> um, whatever it is, you're just like, um, or like the driving isn't stimulating enough for me uh, because I've been driving for a solid six months as the 16 and a half year old. <laughs> and so now I'm bored. And so I need a distraction from this. And I've already liked the song that's on the radio. Uh, why don't I pick up my phone and I scroll through it or I respond to a text or I just see what they said. And from that glance, you know, it swerves them off the road. Obviously we know the statistics of, you know, looking at the phone and, you know, how that leads to car crashes and it, some physical deaths. And um, that's a real life example of how somebody who was bored while driving led them to distracting them some from that boredom. And then from that distraction, it led to a physical death. Um, and that's a sad, tragic thing to think about, but that's mm -hmm. the reality of it. Um, and the other uh, flip side of that um, is when you think about distraction in scripture um, and where uh, if you, if you read, through a lot of the Old and New Testament, um, and you have the mind distracted, uh, you have in your mind the word distracted, and how people were, how did people fall into sinful behavior? How did people fall from faithfulness? And um, a lot of the a lot of the time, it was because they became distracted by the ways of the world. Um, they had, you know, let's take you know King Solomon, who had everything in front of him. And uh, he literally had, you know, all the wealth and um, all the land and everything in front of him. And he just was like, I'm kind of bored. Uh, I'm or not even bored, just um, he just had everything. And he became distracted from his calling to serve as a king on behalf of Yahweh. Um, and it deviated from him. And he, you know, fell spiritually. You know, he became unfaithful and he became distracted by the ways of the world and he became this very destructive king as opposed to a very faithful king. And so he had a, what I would call a, a spiritual death in that sense. And that's what happens when we, we sin. You know, we've become distracted from our original call to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, and so the, a lot of the times, one of the main factors in our society is our, we become very bored very fast, um, even in our faith. And we get distracted by something that the world has to offer. And we follow that long enough to become sinful and fall away from our faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah and, and as we're talking about boredom, I, you know, I'm wondering, I mean, obviously we're thinking of the, the negative uh, 
uh, connotations of, of boredom that I think oftentimes when we say the word boredom, it sounds negative, but I'm wondering, can, can boredom be a healthy thing? Um, and Susan, as you were talking about earlier, your, your children talking about being bored, I've thought about so many times when my children have said I'm bored. And oftentimes I'll say, good, good. I'm glad, I'm yeah. glad you're bored. I, I kind of want to stretch them a little bit and push them a little bit at times. And so maybe asking the two of you, do, do you think boredom can be a, a healthy thing or a good thing? Absolutely. I mean, sorry, I don't want to jump up any. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think, um, especially as a child, I think that's so important because I think your creativity and your imagination um, becomes more developed in that. But even as an adult, I try to practice that sometimes because I get really, I get very bored of my phone, but it's so addicting that it's like it, an easy thing to do. And so, um, I do try to practice that of like, what do I do with my boredom? Because, you know, there are so many other options that are more life-giving and that I will remember versus like what I just looked at on Instagram. And I just think for teenagers, I just think it's more learning how to steward that. It's just, what do you do with your boredom? It's not try to find another social media outlet or, you know, it's like, what do you do with, how do you think through boredom? What's your grid of what, what are the possibilities versus like too many choices versus like, what could I do that might be helpful or beneficial or teach me something or learn a skill or, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. are on that, yeah. I, I think you're, you're spot on the, the idea boredom in and of itself isn't bad. Um, just, just mm -hmm. like food isn't bad, but it can lead us uh, down a, a bad path depending on how you deal with it. And so the, the, the theory is, you know, it's not, it's not boredom. That's bad. It's what you do with it and how you handle it. And so what we're doing with this podcast is, um, especially in our third episode is we want to talk about what are those parameters we can set around, uh, teenagers and un, uh, not fully developed brains yet to help them deal with boredom well, uh, so that it actually becomes an advocate and an asset, um, to their development rather than something to just avoid. Um, so how do you lean into it as opposed to just like, get it out of here. This is a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, what we actually had, uh, David Murray on this, uh, podcast, um, on episode 312 talking about anxiety and depression. Um, he had just released a book on that. And I asked him a question that came from a, a New York times article, um, something about, and I can't, cannot remember the title, but ultimately asking what's the difference between boredom and depression. And, and I do think so often in, in the Christian life, uh, sometimes when we when we get bored, what we're really being confronted with is the darkness of our own heart. And so we run to distraction. We want to kind of get away from this thought when we're sitting there, when we're alone with our own thoughts, where we're starting to, to maybe be confronted with things that we don't want to reflect on or think about. And so we just reach for something to distract us. Because as, as David Murray said, something along these lines in that podcast that um, boredom is virtually impossible in our culture today. Uh, that we have, again, yeah. Susan, as you're saying, going back to, we have so many options. And so maybe getting into distraction a little bit more, how we distract from um, our, our boredom. Um, first kind of asking, is there such a thing as, as good distraction? Why don't y'all talk to us a, a little bit about that? Is, is distraction, can it be a good thing? Oh, totally. I think Susan asked me this question one time because we, I, I talked so poorly about distraction for like hours. <laughs> She's like, well, can it be good at all? Um, <laughs> of course it can. Uh, boredom, um, boredom can be a good thing just as much as distraction can be a good thing. But distraction is, is healthy in the sense of, is it leading us to the right thing? Um, so what, is it, what are we being distracted from is the question. So if you think about somebody who is really struggling with something and really kind of is in the pit and dealing with depression and anxiety, um, feeling suicidal, in some, in some instances, it's, it's a good thing to become distracted by your own thoughts because an anxious person, and we, we talk about anxiety a lot as well, um, an anxious person is somebody who you, you shouldn't really trust your own thoughts when you're anxious. Um, you're not you. Um, when you're anxious, just like you're not you when you're hungry, um, you begin to function very differently. Your thought process is very different. And so a lot of times when you're in those scenarios and when you're in an anxious moment, you have to distract yourself from the thing that's causing you to be anxious. 
just to get out of that spiral. And once you come out of that, or when you come to, uh, then you can kind of like get the lay of the land and you don't no longer have to distract yourselves. And the problem I think, and why distraction is so bad is we allow ourselves to become distracted for far too long. Mm -hmm. Like distraction becomes the end goal as opposed to, wait, I'm supposed to distract myself from something, not just constantly be distracted. And that's kind of where we sit as a society. We are just in the most distracted society ever. Um, and a lot, of, I think there was another book that um, I, I, I used, and it might've been the distracted mind, I can't remember, but th they had used uh, distraction back when it was a hunter-gatherer um, uh, society. When, when you live in that like society, you have to ha have your ears perked up. Uh, and be distracted from the right things um, just because death is around the corner at any, any given moment. Um, and you, you have to allow yourself to be on the ready for those things. So I think there's a lot of different theories out there, but of course, distraction be, can be good, but it shouldn't be your, your end goal um, of where you're trying to go. Yeah, because I guess it's in a sense, I mean, we, we think of hobbies might be a distraction, you know, from our normal occupation, but those can be good things. And so maybe in a sense, um, because I, I do think distraction is such a major issue um, in, you know, just our culture today, but definitely in the church and, and among Christians. So maybe we're just taking distraction and we're turning it into an idol that we must have it all the time at all costs, just kind of going to different thing from one thing to another. Cause I know, I know you speak about multitasking a little bit and, um, but, but maybe get into the, the science of distraction. I know that's an area that the two of you have discussed a little bit. So maybe Susan, do you want to start us off talking a little bit about the science of distraction or <laughs> she's shaking her head? No, maybe, maybe John. <laughs> that needs that to. is very gracious. John has done all the hard work. So I'll try to <laughs> pop in some comments. But I, I will say, can I say one thing just sure. on the last Please thing? Do. Please thing. Do. Um, Y'all can shut me down if this doesn't make sense, but there's, Something um, we used to work with a man named Jonathan Jakes, and I always loved the way he would begin a retreat. He would always say, we're not retreating from something, we're retreating to something. Mm. And when you were saying, uh, talking about distraction, I was like, yeah, I guess a more biblical way to think about distraction would be instead of like distracting ourselves from, oh, I'm so depressed. Like I just need to like consume media or food or exercise or whatever it is for you, but like to distract yourself towards something, maybe that is like, I'm really depressed. I'm going to devour a book or mm -hmm. make sure I'm with a friend, you know, like thinking more, um, intentionally about if we're distracting ourselves from maybe it's a sin pattern or the, like you said, just the darkness of our heart. I think that can be a really helpful tool that the Lord does give us to move through things like sin and sadness. Um, and so thinking kind of shifting that mental phrase of, instead of distracting ourselves from something more towards something. So that was that's, just popped yeah, into my head when you were just saying that. Such a good point. It, it is. Cause I think of, I mean, in a sense, we're talking about the stewardship of this notion of distraction, that it's something that can be good. We, we just, we, we must steward it faithfully. Um, th there's a movie, I don't know if you've seen the secret life of Walter Mitty, yeah. Um, but, but I love that movie with, with Ben Stiller. And to me, you know, he's always kind of distracted in his life. He's all kind of going to fantasy and you, you can't think you can't separate reality from fantasy. And, and really, as we think about that as, as Christians, um, that we are designed to escape, you know, because we're in a broken fallen world. We know there's something wrong with this world and that we are designed to escape and to get away. And sometimes our distraction can actually do that for us. And so I think it is kind of getting back to what you're saying, Susan, a, a um, stewardship of distraction. Uh, so John, getting back to kind of the science about distraction, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this was, I really geeked out uh, about it for a really long time. <laughs> Um, and you, know, you have to think about what is our, our leading vice of our generation. And this is why it fits into this season is technology. Technology is a huge piece of distraction for us, whether that's social media or smartphones or the internet or cars or whatever it may be. Technology is a huge distractor uh, for our society um, across generations. And um, whether they're a teenager or whether they're an adult, um, it's, it's a big part of our society. So 
thinking that in mind, like what, what is our distraction? So I, I think of technology into that category, but the science behind it um, is something I called the spiral of distraction. I didn't come up with the science. I didn't, you know, write all this, but I just used the word spiral of distraction. Um, and uh, from all the research that I did, I, I really gave seven steps, like of what does the science teach us that you have, you know, first you have a source of distraction. What is distracting us? Let's, so in this category, let's say the technology or smartphones. Um, smartphones are our source of distraction. Um, and while you're on uh, the smartphone, uh, you become bored. And so you uh, switch to a new, new thing on your smartphone. Um, and so you switch to a new task. And you have this moment where your brain rewards you for that. Um, your, your brain does not like boredom and it wants to be alleviated from that boredom. So whenever you answer that call, your brain rewards you. You're like, great, thanks for getting rid of that for me. I didn't like that feeling at all. And so your brain's like, I also like that feeling of being rewarded, let's do that again. And so you have um, an increased rate of boredom. And so it, it wants to cycle in um, that sense of switching to a new task. Because every time you switch to a new task, the moment you feel boredom, um, the moment you feel uh, like you need a distraction, um, the more likely you're going to receive endorphins and you're going to receive everything that you need um, to, to alleviate that feeling and feed the brain. Um, or what I also like to coin as the boredom monster. The boredom monster <laughs> gets hungrier and hungrier and hungrier until like you just have to throw so much into it that you're so far down the spiral of distraction um, that you don't know how to get out of it. And when I presented this to the class, I said, what does this sound like to you guys? Um, and it's almost exactly the same way you would describe addiction um, mm -hmm. based off what the CDC produces. Um, and addiction and distraction um, play a same sort of just monster in the sense of like, once you let it in, um, and if you keep feeding it, the bigger the hole gets and the bigger the need gets. So that's why, you know, distraction can and does lead to, to both types of death, um, whether, you know, you feed that distraction um, with a smartphone or whether you feed that with drugs, it's going to be the same process for you. One will speed up the physical death um, a lot faster than the other one, but, I, you know, technology can deplete the emotional um, uh, death, um, a lot, a lot faster, um, a deplete to it. Um, so it's, it's really fascinating to see those parallels and to see the weight and seriousness that we should take our distraction and not to be caught into, uh, into that as much as we, we allow ourselves or be, allow ourselves to distract ourselves from boredom so easily. Um, mm -hmm. and we have so so many opportunities to distract us from it, but does that mean we should always do it? That, that's the question. And that, that goes back into, you know, the fall of, fall of man, just because mm -hmm. we can, does it mean, does it mean we should? Um, and so a lot of times God or Jesus wasn't saying no, he was just saying not yet. Um, mm -hmm. Now is not the time, or this isn't the place for this to happen. Um, and so we should feed that into our own categories um, I'm not saying that there's a time and a place to do drugs or anything like that, but um, it's it, you should feel the weight and you should feel the seriousness from it. Yeah, and I'm so glad you're you're bringing up addiction. Obviously, smartphone addiction, addiction to social media, is such a a huge issue. And John, some of the stats that you had and, and some of the uh, research you've done, um, just reading off some of these, there's 55% of adults access their phone while driving a car. 35% to use their smartphone in a movie theater. So you think there it's like you're watching a movie, but that's not enough. So let's also be looking at our phone, uh, using it on a dinner date. Um, it says 32% cannot resist checking their smartphone during their child's school function. 19% um, admit using their phone during church. And since we know this is uh, adults that are listening to this, 9% during sex, we can uh, mention that stat, which is insane to me. 9% people use their phone during right. sex. And you also, I missed 12% use their phone in the shower. 
um, which that, that's, that's crazy as well, but, but I, I can, but, I can vouch for that. That, that definitely happens. It's <laughs> <laughs> <is> waterproof. <laughs> well, I, I know something that you, you mentioned in, in your study as well is that we are losing a sense of presence. There's a sense in which we are not fully present when we're in yeah. each company. I, I mean, we not only have smartphones, we've got watches that are on there. We're just checking our our wristwatch. I know um, Shelly Turkle, her research, she uh, had the book entitled Alone Together. And I just think that kind of sums it up. We're, we're together, we're in community, but in a sense, we're really not. And so Susan, I would love for you to, to speak to that a little bit. And as well as kind of along with that, how are you discussing some of these issues with your students? I mean, John, I would love for you to answer that as well. But as y'all are kind of digging into this research, you're aware of all this. Uh, how are you having conversations with your students about it? One thing that has been great about my D group is that I've been, my D groups are discipleship groups. That's what we call them at our church. But um, I've had these girls since seventh grade and now they're in 10th grade. So I have a lot of relationship cred with them at this That's point. Awesome. Um, all of that to say is I think when you're asking big things of people, you need the relationship to back it up. And for our group, it's been really fun to watch um, awkward, socially awkward seventh graders need to cling to a device. And now we're at a place where we can, I, I don't even have to ask them to put them down anymore because it used to be such a problem um, uh, when you were saying alone together. I just, I'm like, that makes me want to cry because it is so true. These girls are so hungry for real connection to really know that they belong. And if they feel any twinge of not belonging, they're going to reach out and text another friend or you know, do anything to not feel like they're sticking out. And so when they were younger, I finally had to make a rule of like, when we, when we get to like the meat and potatoes of what we're doing here, we're just going to throw all our friends in the middle of the room and we're just not going to look at them. And if your parents are that worried about you, I have my phone on. <laughs> You know, and it, it became a great place to start talking about it because something that John said is like, it, that actually created a ton of anxiety of like one person was overwhelmed by, but you don't understand I'm part of a group message and I'll have 52 texts when I look back at it. I was like, that's real. Like that is very stressful. <laughs> I get that. And so it became a great place to talk through it of like, I'm not saying that it's hard. It's not hard to put your phone down. Um, but let's talk about why it's really important just to be with each other for this 45 minutes, you know, not even like all day. <laughs> um, and we even tried, we haven't gone as far to do that youth group wide, which we've had a lot of conversations about. And John thinks of that really helpfully. Um, but even on retreats, we've tried to start making things like technology-free retreats just to help people get a break. And I really appreciate someone helping me take a break from my phone. Um, so just within our group, I think it's more, uh, the more that real relationship has been fostered, the easier it's been to be together because a distraction is not as alluring anymore because it's not needed in the same way because a physical relationship to be able to talk one-on-one -on -one with someone in the flesh has been way more interesting and way more satisfying than a text message, a TikTok, whatever. Um, and so I think just modeling that and over time, so I'm saying all of these words, I feel like I'm saying a lot just to say something really simple is that this is just a, a long game foundational thing. And so I don't know if a lot of parents are listening to this, but just, I always have to think of the long game when we're thinking about parenting, when we're thinking about our students, this isn't something that we um, say and change overnight, that it's um, a constant modeling and a constant conversation. So that's mm -hmm. what I would say. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit, um, especially as of late. And uh, people are finding themselves, they need more distraction in 2020 than they've ever had. Um, and so it's really in front of us right now. And so we, we've had this conversation quite a bit and presence is at, at an all time premium because for a while there, our only presence was virtual uh, mm -hmm. when we were all in quarantine and we were all locked down. Uh, we could literally only connect and we found, and a lot of people found we have a threshold for that. Um, we saw what it's like to invest virtually. 100% across the board. And what happened? 
our whole society freaked out. They didn't <laughs> like it. And like after a couple of months, it was just like, I can't do it anymore. I'm just, I'm out. I'm done. Even us as adults, we're like, I'm done with this. I can't handle this. I need physical presence. And there's actually something that the, the authors of The Distracted Mind and even Dan Siegel uh, speaks to uh, is that it is physically um, always going to be better to be physically present than it is artificially. Uh, in, a, in a virtual way. You can connect virtually, um, but it's never going to replace the physical presence. And that's exactly why, you know, we needed Jesus in mm -hmm. the flesh. You know, that's a huge thing to think about. God came down as a human. Uh, we need physical presence with God for us to really, you know, understand what he was doing and how he was going to save us. We needed his physical presence to save us. Um, and that, that's a huge thing to, to correlate there. Uh, so we should always be thinking, how can we be more fully physically present with our students? And that's, you know, teaching them that their virtual world is secondary to your physical world. Um, and I will say, and this is where I get a lot of pushback, is you can't just rip that off. Like, We've already dug that that well pretty deep, um, and so it's got to be a process of getting back to there uh, because these kids have always had the internet. These kids have always had cell phones, uh, and so they don't know any different. And for us to say like that's bad, and like, well, why did we get it in the first place? Is the question they they throw back at us. Um, and I've even done enough research in my own corners to say like it's not just the teenagers problem. I think the parents um, have a, a, a tough time not being able to connect with their own child 100%. I can't tell you how many times, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, that a parent will text their kid when I'm with them, like, I can see you're at this restaurant at this time. Is that, are you truly there? And I'm like, whoa, like, <laughs> they can literally stay connected. Like, yeah, I'm tracked all the time. I was like, that's good in categories, but uh, that also shows like trust issues sometimes. And that shows like they, it, there's just, it's, it's a two ended street here. Um, the parents struggle with it just as much as the kids do. We like that connectivity. We like being able to reach somebody at any given time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And no, I think in some ways I would say, I think parents struggle um, more because I think somebody else pointed this out. I don't know if this is something that I've read, but parents actually don't have any boundaries set up on this, you know, that students are kind of forced to have some boundaries. Some parents establish boundaries in the home. And for those parents listening, I encourage that continue to do that, but students have to go to school and they get their phones taken up or they have to put their phones away. I mean, adults are just looking at these devices all day long throughout work. And so there's a sense in which we're, we're worse off than the students are in many ways. But I just think, this is so huge that you guys are bringing this up uh, in your youth group context. And again, for those youth leaders listening, encouraging more discussion about this, because it, it is so easy just to kind of establish a rule and say, we're not going to have smartphones at this event. We're going to take them up at the beginning, but to actually kind of talk them through the theological reasons for this. I mean, even you talking about the incarnation, um, how vitally important physical presence is. Um, but we, we've got to disciple of them in this area because it is so huge. And, and to me, I just, we don't know what 10, 20 years down the road, the future of the church is going to look like and the impact these devices are going to have on them. And so for us to, we had uh, Scott Sauls on recently, and we we're talking about just kind of him as a senior pastor, how he's trying to lead his church with the digital and the analog and trying to emphasize kind of analog in, in church to, to get back to actually like opening a physical book, <laughs> writing in an actual journal. That's what the church has to offer um, because the world is going to continue to progress digitally and not all of that's bad, but how can we as a church, how can we as youth ministries emphasize the analog? So Susan, John, do y'all want to react to that? I know we're going to need to wrap this up and I'd love for us to maybe hit on some boundaries too, as we uh, talk about this, but anything else to kind of add to that? I don't know if I could add to that at this moment. I, I totally affirm um, the need to balance um, and to not just uh, get rid of something because it's, it's bad in the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's always a learning curve. Every generation is in a learning curve from 
the previous generation. It's we're over adjusting. Uh, we're seeing something as bad. Um, and a lot of the next generation just wants to get rid of it. It's like, well, there's some good to it. Um, we have technology and I'm not here to condemn technology. I think one of the, the first thing I told the students in the RYM classes, video games are actually extremely helpful for your developmental mm -hmm. stage. Um, you know, when you abuse that uh, is when it becomes bad, obviously. Uh, so thinking like, how do I balance this well? How do I navigate this well? Uh, and having spaces where technology is emphasized and having spaces where it's not um, to show that there's a, a stark contrast when it's okay and what's not is actually in the teenage years and the adolescent mind uh, is helpful for them developmentally to make the choices themselves. And that's what we want to do as youth workers and as parents is to not just make the decision for the kids, but help these teenagers make the decisions themselves and make the right decisions themselves and help them find the tools to say like, I don't want to use my phone right now, not just because he said I shouldn't, but because I truly believe it's bad. And I think, you know, we can get into the levels of pornography. I think there's been enough push for that, like how bad it is outside of the church mm -hmm. that I'm hearing my, my D group, my small group guys who are the 10th grade guys um, saying like, I don't want to look at it because I know that how bad it is now. Like I see that from my own experience. Um, and it's not just because, you know, my pastor or my teacher said, this is bad and you shouldn't look at it. But I came to it in my own realization and my own experience. And that's what dealing with teenagers is like. And you can ask any parent of a teenager. It's like, you have to convince them that it was their idea for them, for them to totally grasp it. And part of our job as youth workers is to put parameters um, up in certain categories. So we try to model that as much as we can in our ministry. Yeah. Well, well please look, I know we're needing to, to wrap this up. Why don't we get into those kind of parameters and, and boundaries of how maybe even personally, uh, some of the things maybe you do in your own life, but then also as you're modeling that to students and from a ministry perspective, what, what are some of those things that have been helpful for you guys? Um, I think for me, I have tried to be way more mindful at home because I do have littles. And I think, um, I always think about, even when you were saying this of parents dealing with this so much worse than teenagers, <laughs> of it's so handy, or I just need to look at this thing really quickly, which then is a spiral, another spiral monster. Um, <laughs> morph the two. That's great. <laughs> um, but just realizing how much I need to break from things myself. And so I try to be really good about just like leaving my phone physically far away from myself of like, nobody needs me this bad. <laughs> the world is fine if no one can reach me for a little bit. Uh, and I've tried to be really proactive, especially at night, because um, during a season of having little kids, I think both me and my husband the temptation can be everyone's in bed. I just want to, the, the phrase like zone out, um, mm -hmm. you know, is, is, can just can be so damaging. <laughs> and so for each other, just to say like, I'm just gonna put my phone on its charger. Like it doesn't, I don't need anything, um, with my phone right now, but I think some things that I love that I do see other families, like very tangible things. I love it when families have like, family charger areas in a very public place. And that's just where kids come and plug their phone in as soon as they get home and they just don't look at them. They're not easily accessible. And I think some of it is just the accessibility of things that make it such an addiction. It's in your pocket, it's in your hand, it's your watch. It's, you know, it's everything. It's like, if you just put it in a different room, it just makes life so much easier. Like it can be that simple. Um, I forgot what else you asked besides just no, yeah. So personally, but then also maybe in, in ministry, um, you know, if this is a D group meeting, you've kind of talked about some of that, but a retreat you guys go on, but what are some things you do in, in the youth ministry? For our retreat last year, I think was the, maybe, maybe we've done it twice, but we made it a fully for high school. We said, um, you know, we're going to just ask you not even to bring them. So John wrote a very like thoughtful letter of this is why and explain to the parents of why we were doing this and what was behind it and just ask them not even to bring it. And they did. I was so proud of they, it wasn't like we were going to take them away, but we would have asked them to leave them in their bag. You know, they could have checked it later, but none of them brought it. And 
it was really cool talking through that of the free, like this weight off your shoulders of just like, you don't realize how bound you are to it until someone's like, just put it away. And like the place we went doesn't even have surface. And so it's like, they couldn't have used it even if they wanted to, but it's just like, you don't need all of that all the time. And, um, that was just really just even small snippets of practicing that I think has been really helpful for our, for our ministry. Yeah. I think we start with kind of at the small where we focus everything on our small groups, uh, that's where we put a lot of our emphasis. And, uh, if, if we can make an ideal, um, within our ministry, we try to do that, uh, within the subsect of the, the D groups and saying like, if we don't want no phones in the youth ministry, let's get to the point where our D groups don't have phones. Um, and then we take it away from the, the events and the retreats, uh, where we feel like connection is really important. Um, and we were getting to the point where we we're starting to take away phones on our regular youth group nights, our large youth group, uh, gatherings. Um, and then, you know, the pandemic happened and we kind of cycled back a little bit. Um, but even then we're, we're kind of making a system of there's a time where a phone is okay. We obviously don't want it out, but it's okay if it is. But then we make a clear distinction saying, Hey, we have moved into a worship space and we are going to talk about uh, the word of God and we are going to sing, um, music to our Lord and savior, which is a no phone space. And so we create a clear distinction. Like we're not just having fun and connecting. Um, this is a worship space and there, that is something where you cannot and should not be distracted. And so thinking about those things. And when we, um, when I wrote the class and, and came up with it, there is kind of the four categories of which we, we work in. And that's, um, first think, um, take a moment and pause of thinking like, where do we need to work on this? And thinking like, where am I becoming distracted? Where's technology becoming too much for me? And then from there, you start to reduce and limit your access to your distraction or to uh, limit your access to your cell phone, whether that's a charging station or whether that's put your phone in this basket or whatever it is, have some of limitation parameters set around you. And then when you get to the point of feeling bored, um, learn to redirect it, um, not just direct it to the thing that you always have, which is usually your smartphone, uh, but really find something to direct your boredom in a different category. Uh, for me growing up, that was always like, I'm going to invent a game, uh, because which is really played <laughs> out. Come in handy as <laughs> really, yeah, youth ministry, it's really worked out. Uh, so <laughs> really directing your boredom towards something else. And that may be like, I'm a, instead of looking at my phone, I am literally going to, you know, knock on my neighbor's door and see how they're doing. That's a good way of directing your boredom. And then from there, you, you will slowly reduce your need to feed the boredom monster. Um, it's just a whole process, but it really does start with take some time to sit back and look at all the ways of which this is not going well uh, and pray about it and see how can we enter into this and, and not just overwhelm yourself and just say, we're getting rid of all of it. It's so bad, but really navigating, um, what's the most important, what's the biggest priority here and how can we get to the point to where everything reaches that priority? Uh, but it's a process and we forget that all the time. So we're working on that. We're a work in progress as well as a ministry. Um, sometimes things have worked and some things have not at all. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, and we're just learning, um, even right now we're working, what I, I say, we're working in a compromised ministry <laughs> state because we're having tons of restrictions on us. So we're a little more lenient with cell phone usage because mm -hmm. we also require masks when you show up. It's like, I can't ask a teenager to do too much because both of those things for them is detrimental. I have to wear a mask and not have a cell phone. <laughs> Pick one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, this is so good. And there's so much more I want to talk to you too about, but I mean, it does illustrate, you know, we, we become enslaved to these devices and we, we see the theological implications there, but, but to teach our students, to train our students, there is freedom in stepping away from this. It's actually will make you feel better and we can, can, you know, make our time together more fruitful and obviously our worship to the, the Lord. But um, yeah, these are some, some great boundaries and parameters uh, to think through. Look, Susan, John, I really appreciate you both taking the time to, to come on again. There's so much more we could talk about, but again, pointing people to you guys, your, your podcast and what you guys are, are doing. You said the, well, I guess this episode is not going to air for a few weeks, but your third 
episode is coming out uh, in a few weeks. Is that what you said? Before Thanksgiving. <laughs> we'll get it out before Thanksgiving. Okay. All right. So yeah, definitely by the time this episode airs, it should be available. And that's just, tell me the website. How can they find that uh, again? Anywhere you find podcast, if you look up student ministry for parents and yeah. our faces pop up, that's the right one. <laughs> If Great. you don't know what we look like, it'll be pretty obvious. Um, what cartoon <laughs> characters, so. Um. <laughs> Which, by the way, who did the cartoon characters of you guys? Who drew that? Uh, that was our communications coordinator. She's a gifted uh, graphic designer um, and just did it on a whim. She did nice. it like day. It was awesome. She's amazing. Yeah. So cool. Well, look, I've enjoyed getting to talk to you guys. Really appreciate it. I know this will be beneficial to the listeners as well. All right. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Buy without money, oh, come and feast without.